0: Listen to more episodes of this podcast earlier than everybody else and add free when you sign up for Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service that's audience-supported, featuring more than 130 top-tier educational creators focusing on making content for you and not for an algorithm. Sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversationswithjoe to support the podcast and get more eye-opening content. This video is supported by Brilliant. When I was growing up i wanted to be an astronaut more than pretty much anything else in the world and like a lot of people i was inspired by nasa and especially the footage that they collected from their space flights but it wasn't necessarily you know people walking around on the moon or space shuttle launches although those are awesome obviously uh, for me anyway it was mostly this This is footage from Skylab, America's first attempt at a space station. Skylab was operational from May 1973 to February 1974, and it was served by three different crews, the longest mission being 84 days. Pretty short by ISS standards, but Skylab had something the ISS doesn't have. Space. All that space. Skylab was basically a modified third stage of a Saturn V rocket, meaning it was a girthy boy. The orbital workshop section was 6.6 meters in diameter, dwarfing the largest model of the ISS. This gave the three-man crew a total of 351.6 cubic meters of space, that's 12,417 cubic feet. No spacecraft in history has had more open volume than Skylab, and with that volume, the astronauts created a little circus in space. These weren't all for fun, although they were clearly having fun. They were testing the physics of moving and living in zero-g environments. They even had room to experiment with a prototype man-maneuvering unit that astronauts would later use on the space shuttle. I mean, don't get me wrong, astronauts on the moon and rocket launches, those were inspiring, but this looked fun. These guys were living the dream that every kid dreams of. They were literally flying around in space, they were tumbling and circling and spinning in the air. This is exactly what my 10 year old self would do if he got to go to space. How I do that now, I would then throw up everywhere, but I do it. Watching three grown men playing around like kids in the ultimate ball pit just kind of humanizes space flight for me in a way that no other footage ever has. You know, I mean, space flight and science in general, it's always so clinical and it's so serious, but this really brings home the, the joy and the wonder of space travel for me. Which is why, at the risk of sounding like a fanboy, I am pretty excited about the potential of a Starship. Starship is nine meters wide, okay? For perspective, ISS... Skylab. Starship. It's enough to make a space station feel inadequate. But starship or no, space stations are going to play a major role in our future in space. ISS was not the first space station and it won't be the last. So let's look at what comes next. America has always been greatest when we dared to be great. We can reach for greatness again We can follow our dreams to distant stars, living and working in space for peaceful economic and scientific gain. Tonight I am directing NASA to develop a permanently manned space station, and to do it within a decade. This is from the State of the Union Address given by President Ronald Reagan on January 25, 1984, that basically set the stage for a project known as Space Station Freedom. The U.S. had wanted a permanent presence in space pretty much since the 1950s, but it wasn't until the space shuttle came along that launch costs seemed feasible enough that we could actually ferry astronauts to and from a space station. So before this, we had the Skylab, which was considered a success, but space station freedom was going to be a whole other thing. At about the same time on the other side of the Cold War was space station Mir. It was authorized in 1976, about the same time that Skylab was still in space, and plans were pretty far along by the time Reagan had announced the idea for the space station freedom. The first of six modules for Mir were launched in 1986, and the last was launched in 1996, and by that point, Space Station Freedom was kind of no more. It had run into far too many budget problems and too many redesigns, and the whole thing kind of fell apart. So in 1993, the Clinton administration decided to fold Space Station Freedom into a new project, the International Space Station. Freedom was already pretty international to begin with. NASA was collaborating with ESA in Europe, JAXA in Japan, and CSA in Canada. But as it transitioned to the ISS, it allowed a fifth agency to come in, Russia's Roscosmos. At the time, Russia had been working on a successor to Mir, so they basically took those plans and just folded it into the ISS. The most important of these modules was the Zvezda service module, which provides life support for ISS astronauts as well as a place to shelter from solar storms. Zvezda was the last major component to be installed on the ISS in July of 2000, and then after a series of outfitting missions, the first ISS crew arrived on November 2nd, 2000. As of today, the ISS has been continuously occupied for 20 years, 6 months, and 22 days. No other space station comes anywhere close. Mir lasted just about a decade. But Mir does have some bragging rights. It does have uh, the distinction of hosting the cosmonaut with the most time in space continuously of anybody else in the world That's Valery Polyakov in about 438 days. The American record of 340 consecutive days was set by Scott Kelly on the ISS. Although it should be noted that the most total time in space is held by Peggy Whitson, and most of that time was spent on the ISS. And naturally, these records corresponded with the ISS carrying out many scientific goals, including, obviously, researching the effect of microgravity on the human body. But ISS instruments have also observed billions of cosmic particles and produced the first Bose-Einstein condensate in space. The Bose-Einstein condensate is kind of a fifth state of matter. Plus, they've done research on Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, cancer. The water filtration equipment that they have on the ISS is actually helping out people in isolated communities down here on Earth. So while experts debate on whether or not the ISS has actually earned back its $150 billion price tag, it has certainly come with some benefits, and it's earned its place. So at the time of this video, the space station is up there, obviously still operational and doing its thing. Um, It's it's expected to last until 2030, although some of its components are wearing out pretty quickly. That timeline might be a little optimistic. Luckily, there are some exciting projects on the way to take its place. The first mission to break new ground is going to be the Axiom Mission 1. Axiom Space is a private company that's run by a former ISS program manager, and their goal is to build and operate the first commercial space station. The plan is to add a module to the ISS for private clients to stay in and then ferry them back and forth on a crew Dragon. Over time, they plan to add to the structure until it's complete, at which point they'll separate from the ISS and operate independently. Axiom Station is expected to function as a space hotel while also hosting scientific experiments. Mission details will depend on consumer demand. There will be a dedicated space lab with other modules to come. According to Axiom's contract with NASA, the initial segment will accommodate seven people. There'll be potential for advanced life support, exercise equipment, and earth imaging and sensing built in. It comes with some cool amenities, the first of which just being an awesome design, but also they have this couple of module that basically will give you the feeling of just floating out in space. I'm only assuming there's some good medications on board for the inevitable panic attacks that would arise from that. If all goes well, they plan to fly the first crew up in 2022. All of which sounds awesome, it is not, however, cheap. Every seat on the Crew Dragon would cost $55 million just to get to the ISS. And the cost per day on the ISS is going to be $35,000 for a minimum of eight days. So, I mean, it's kind of like if you are going on vacation and you were spending $55 million for a rental car and $35,000 for the hotel room. Something like that. Axiom, of course, plans on reducing the price over time so it's not just billionaires that could go out there. I mean, you might look at the cost of phones as an example. You know, a decent flip phone was $1,000 25 years ago. Because phones and space travel, same thing. But if you are a millionaire or a billionaire like, say, Tom Cruise, your ride to space might be a little bit sooner. Back in June of last year, NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine kind of let slip that uh, Tom Cruise might be actually going up on the ISS to shoot a movie up there. And I didn't realize this at the time, but yeah, apparently that movie is planning on being shot on an Axiom module. Yeah, not much is known about the movie right now. It's supposed to be directed by Doug Lyman, who Tom Cruise worked with on Edge of Tomorrow, which is actually a pretty great movie. And the budget's going to be around $200 million, but beyond that, nobody really knows much about it. But before we go too far down the private space station route, let's look at some countries that have some potential space stations going up in the near future. The first one, of course, is China, who, as we all know, just launched a space station module a few weeks ago. We were all looking overhead for the second stage that was out of control and burning into the atmosphere. That whole thing. That was actually the first module of a new space station that they're building. It's not the first space station they've ever done. The China National Space Administration launched a prototype Tiangong-1 in 2011. The nearly identical Tiangong-2 followed in 2016. Both prototype stations hosted small crews for short stays. Both were deorbited and allowed to burn up on a re-entry both of those are just kind of test articles, they hosted small crews for a few days, but this new space station, it's going to be a whole new thing. The module that just went up is called Tianhe-1, it's a segment that's longer than the Tiangong stations at 16.6 meters compared to their 10.4 meters. And it'll also be modular, so China plans to add segments over the next few years. Two Tiangong-sized labs will be added in 2022, and a space telescope with a field of view 300 times that of Hubble will complete its initial figuration in 2024. So yeah, that's a a pretty big deal. A a new telescope with the power of Hubble, but 300 times the field of view. It's gonna be on the space station. The schedule is ambitious, but if things go to plan, a crew of Taikonauts, which is the term for Chinese astronauts, uh, will be boarding this thing in 2024. Less ambitious schedule-wise is the plan for India's space station. The India Space Research Organisation, or ISRO, has plans to put a space station up by the year 2030, which is pretty ambitious considering they've only started working on human spaceflight in 2007. Their space program so far has focused on space probes and satellite launches, and it's actually been really successful and very impressive. But yeah, since 2007, they've been working on a human-rated spaceflight system called Ganguyan, and that's supposed to launch in 2023 with a crew of three people. So as of right now, China and India are the only national space agencies that are working on space stations, Uh, but let's get back to the private sector for a second. All right, so I mentioned Axiom Space earlier, but they are actually not the first private company to have a module attached to the ISS. That company would be Bigelow Aerospace, who has essentially had a prototype space station docked with the ISS since 2016. It's called the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, or BEAM. It's an inflatable module that's currently being used as storage for ISS components. The initial plans called for a two-year test of BEAM's ability to hold air and shield its components from micrometeorites, and to date, it's been inflated for nearly five years. This was actually a huge win for Bigelow Aerospace, and a big validation for their idea of expandable modules. Bigelow's been working on the idea of inflatable modules since 2010, and their plan was to have a space station assembled of these inflatable modules by 2021. The benefit of these expandable modules is that they can be really compacted and fit inside of a fairing. They're lightweight, and so they can get up into space and blow up into much bigger sizes than than they actually were inside of the fairing, which is why, pre-pandemic, I would have said the Bigelow was first on the top of the list of private space uh, contractors that were able to put a space station up there. Uh, but some things have changed. The benefit of these habitats is that they can be compacted small and are really lightweight and then expand to much larger than conventional modules. For example, the B-330 is designed to expand to about 330 cubic meters, hence the name. 330 cubic meters, by the way, just a little bit smaller than Skylab, with accommodations for six astronauts. Each B-330 would have come equipped with aft and forward thrusters, a life support system, and solar power arrays. A B-330 could have been used as a station by itself, or several could have been docked together. There were proposals to link up to nine B-330s to serve as everything from a spacecraft supply depot to a microgravity hospital. The problem was at the time, no launch system was big enough, had a fairing big enough to carry the B-330, even compacted down. But Bigelow made a deal to launch on a Vulcan Centaur rocket. And then the pandemic hit, and Bigelow had to let go all 88 of their employees. The first Vulcan-Centaur rocket is supposed to go up later this year in 2021, and I don't know, maybe, hopefully, Bigelow can come back to life and book a trip by 2022? Yeah, I don't know what other things might be going on behind the scenes at Bigelow, but I want to go on record as saying I'm pulling for them. I think the idea of these inflatable habitats is really interesting, and I would like to see it pulled off. But if i can go back to that picture of the beam module again just take a look at something real quick there to the left of beam you can see another iss feature built by a company with private space station ambitions the company is NanoRacks, and the feature is the bishop airlock bishop is a literal doorway to space with five times more volume than any other airlock on the iss it was built to kind of prevent bottlenecks whenever there are multiple uh, spaceships docked with payloads onto the space station but nasa is using it mostly for waste disposal which is not an insult. Waste disposal is actually a huge issue when you're in space, but NanoRex has ambitions far beyond just being the trash compactor for the ISS. They actually have plans to serve as another type of waste management system, which is actually pretty cool. They're developing a technology to take spent rocket stages currently in orbit around Earth and turning those into space stations. They're working with a company called Maxar, who actually built the robot arm for Perseverance on Mars, and they're putting together a robotic arm for construction in space. They plan to launch the Arm up to space in June on a Falcon 9 rocket, with a demo mission of basically trying to take a few pieces of metal that are basically serving as spent stages and cut it apart in 30 to 60 minutes without creating any debris. Right now, literally thousands of upper stages from spent rockets are floating around in low-earth orbit, and as I've talked about in a previous video, this poses a huge challenge to our space infrastructure. So the idea is nanoracks could do the space agencies a valuable service by taking their spent stages and making something useful out of them. They plan on docking a nanoracks outpost station to the ISS within a year of their demo mission and then a crewed outpost a year after that. They've already got an agreement with Canada's maritime launch services to refit their spent rocket stages, but when this actually goes into effect on a mass scale, depends on a lot of factors. Whenever it happens, it'll be a huge deal. Not only will they be cleaning up all the space junk that's posing all these problems out there, but it could herald a whole new era of construction in space. And that's when things get really interesting. Because if we ever want to move beyond modular designs of just launching up little pieces at a time and actually build big projects in space, we're going to have to learn how to do construction up there. All right, so the last private company that I feel like I should mention in here is Blue Origin. Blue Origin is known for the New Shepard, for the New Glenn, for their, uh, for their Lunar Lander project, which is in review right now. Uh, But they had been working on a space station concept in 2019. And while following Blue Origin can be an exercise in frustration because they do have a very slow, uh, gradual process that they have, you know, adopted as their motto and their company. um, They do have things happening right now. They're officially taking, um, taking bids to write on the first New Shepard crewed launch. And they also have massive resources and massive plans. They've said many times over their long-term goal is to get millions of people living and working in space. And in September of 2020, they put out a job posting for an orbital habitat formulation lead. Obviously the idea being to create Amazon warehouses in low earth orbit before creating Amazon warehouses on the moon. They only mentioned the 2020s as a goal for getting a space station up in orbit. And they have talked about the possibility of buying smaller companies to help facilitate that goal. What Blue Origin's space station might look like is anyone's guess, but there was a picture in a NASA report that came out recently that seems to have an ISS module on the top of a New Glenn, if that means anything. Ultimately, Jeff Bezos wants to lift a page from the dream journal of Gerard O'Neill and create giant O'Neill cylinders in space where millions of people can pick boxes for Amazon. But for that to happen, construction in space is going to have to be a must, so if Blue Origin buys NanoRacks, racks, just remember you heard it here first. Now you might have noticed that all of these space station concepts have one thing in common they all go around the earth but why stop there when we have this whole solar system to play in well there's already plans for something of an interplanetary space station and that would be nasa's plans for a lunar gateway the artemis program will fingers crossed return us to the moon sometime soon and part of that plan is the lunar orbital gateway which i've talked about in a previous video Gateway will orbit the moon on a wild, near-rectilinear halo orbit, making it possible to always be in contact with Earth, and it will serve as a stopping-off point for crew and supplies before swooping down and dropping them off at the moon. And it's thought that eventually it could be a rest station on the way to Mars, where it could use the Lunar Gravity Assist to fling it out and use that momentum and save on fuel. There are plans for several of the ISS partners to be involved in the Lunar Gateway, including ESA, Japan, and Canada, and private companies are also involved, with Maxar selected to build a demo of the power and propulsion element, or the PPE. The finished PPE will join the Habitation and Logistics Outpost, or HALO, in 2023, unless there's a delay. There'll be a delay. But the thing is, these private space station concepts could actually pave the way for bigger and bolder projects from these international space agencies. NASA spends $3 to $4 billion a year just maintaining the ISS. With private companies taking that over, they could redirect that money to moon colonies or trips to Mars and beyond. We've been launching things into space since 1957. That's 64 years. And really only in the last 10 years have private companies become major players in the space race. And only in the last year have private companies been able to launch humans into space. With every new private space flight milestone, NASA and other international agencies have been able to hand over more and more of the heavy lifting, pun intended, uh, to these private companies and then focus their attention on bigger projects. And that to me is what makes this new private space race so exciting. Which brings me back to Skylab. Although its operational mission was pretty short and it ended in 1974, its official ending didn't really happen until 1979, when it fell back to Earth in a blaze of... Well, not exactly glory. NASA lost control of Skylab not long after it ceased to be operational, and it fell back to Earth over Australia. So, farmers in Australia had charred bits of Skylab literally falling onto their farmhouses. Kangaroos running for their lives. It was a whole thing. But most large space payloads come down over a designated location that's known as the spacecraft cemetery. It's at roughly latitude 48 degrees south, longitude 123 degrees west, and here, strewn about the ocean floor far beneath the South Pacific, lie a large number of deorbited satellites and space stations, including Mir. And this is the expected final resting place when ISS finishes its mission. And it's probably going to be quite a show. The ISS is the biggest thing we have ever put into orbit, and it will be by far the biggest thing to come back through our atmosphere that didn't kill the dinosaurs. It'll break apart and streak through the sky in a 400-mile arc that'll be able to be seen for thousands of miles. And what actually crashes into the ocean will be completely unrecognizable from all the pictures that we've seen of the International Space Station over the years. And with that, a 30-year experiment will come to an end. Does that make you sad? Makes me kind of sad. But if it helps, the end of the ISS is only going to usher in a new era in long-term spaceflight, one of inflatable habitats, luxury hotels, and manufacturing hubs floating in the sky. Not to mention colonies on other worlds like the moon and Mars. So with any luck, you and I will get to live out our dreams of being circus performers in space, after all. Of course, with multiple space stations floating around Earth, it's going to be important that we get the orbits just right on those so they don't collide into each other or into any of the thousands of pieces of space junk that are floating up there right now. Luckily there are people who totally understand the whole orbital mechanics thing and work on keeping that from happening, but if you want to be one of those people, or at least have a better understanding of it, a great place to start might be the classical mechanics course on Brilliant. In this course you start with the very basics of mass and gravity and the Newtonian physics that explains it. From there you learn about tides, the motion of heavenly bodies, the engineering of space travel and orbital mechanics, and even calculate the atmospheric thickness of a neutron star. All this eventually leads to the extremes of physics where Newton's laws break down and general relativity takes over. All of that is in just one course, and that's just the start. From there you can keep going and advance through more than 60 courses covering everything from quantum mechanics, applied science, even search engines and neural networks. And you learn it by problem solving, which kind of hacks your brain's natural learning skills so you can learn it in a way that makes the most sense to you, and then you can apply it to other areas of your life. Plus, you can do it on your mobile phone and even offline, so you can take it with you wherever you go. And if you want to get a taste of what I'm talking about, they have free daily brain teasers, or you can do the first section of any of their courses for free, so you can see what they're all about. But if you do want to sign up for the premium subscription that gives you access to all their courses, you can go to brilliant.org slash answerswithjoe, and if you're one of the first 200 people to do so, you'll get 20% off your subscription. Link is down below. Seriously, if you haven't checked out Brilliant, it's just a lot of fun, and you learn stuff. It's almost by accident. Brilliant.org slash answerswithjoe, link's down in the description. Go do it. Thanks to Brilliant for supporting this episode and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon and the YouTube members that are supporting this channel and helping me build a team, forming an awesome community, and just being overall really cool people. we got some YouTube members I need to shout out real quick. I've got a lot of catching up to do on these. I've got Adam, Rain Han, Cosmo the Magician, Paul Winter, Greg Morris, Kim, Mark Hoffman, Kevin Carr, Leo Burino, Burrito? Buridio. Uh, Crystal Matlock, Sarah B, Robert Slaughter, Celine O'Rourke, Elizabeth Wagner, Dr. Mr. Denver Seve Jr., Karen Corsadin, uh, KJF Silvergoth, Alexithemia Waterworld? Was it the same thing? Uh, Lilith Esme and Rallo Cameron. Thank you guys so much. If you would like to join them, just hit the join button down below. You will get early access to videos as well as exclusive live streams and little little badge next to your name so you kind of stand out in the comments. And I do try to make sure and respond to the members in the comments as well. So go check that out. Please do like and share this video if you liked it. And if this is your first time here, Google thinks you'll like that one. So you might want to give that a try. Um, and if you do like that one, there's plenty of others with my face on them down here. You can go click on them. And if you like them, I do uh, recommend you subscribe because I come back with videos every Monday. And with that, I bid you adieu. You guys go out there, have an eye opening rest of the week and I'll see you on Monday. Love you guys. Take care.